Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, uh, along with my producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming from wonderful downtown Sioux Falls, South Dakota today. Beautiful 60 degrees. Yes, I said it. It is March in South Dakota and almost 60 degrees yesterday. Looking forward to another beautiful day. And today at our midweek podcast of Health Solutions, you don't want to miss this episode. Uh, Ethne Nance is back on our episode again. And if you remember her from a few months back, she talked about how our hospital bills are inflated tenfold because of insurance companies. And she is going to elaborate on and use some of her expertise to help educate and empower our our listeners, which is the goal of our podcast today, about how sometimes, maybe most of the time, insurance companies are not looking out for your best interests. So she's going to give you some information that you might want to follow up with um, to make sure that your doctor is qualified um, to see you. Because just because your insurance company says they are, does not mean they necessarily are. She's got some great stories about uh, how insurance companies credential their doctors. So without further ado, Ethne, welcome back to our show. Oh, by the way, Ethne uh, has a very successful uh, insurance billing business, insurance, uh, healthcare insurance billing business called Pacific Medical Revenue. And she can tell us a little bit about that. And she's a great resource for anything that has to do with uh, any kind of healthcare type billing. And let me tell you, I've had to navigate that system recently with my son's hospital bill, and it is a mess. And I just got m- into the mess deeper a couple of weeks ago when they sent me a surprise bill. And I bet you Ethnic could have a whole show on surprise bills from hospitals. Um, you know, so anyway, I am going in a couple of weeks elaborate on that story about how that surprise bill um, happened and, and what the hospital did about it and how I had to follow up with it. So, and it's not an isolated incident, unfortunately. So, Anthony, without further ado, go ahead and introduce yourself quickly and uh, then we'll get right into the meat and potatoes of credentialing doctors. Hello, everyone. So I'm Ethne Nance, the CEO of Pacific Medical Revenue. We are a medical billing and revenue cycle management company that works with healthcare providers across the United States. Um, it, I'm excited to be here and try and answer some more questions in this very mysterious field. <laughs> yeah, and and that's it. I mean, it's it's really... It really is a mysterious field. There, there is such a lack of transparency when it comes to healthcare billing. It is no, it is like no, no other industry is it so non-transparent. And, and I think that the companies like the hospitals and the and the big corporate type clinics, I think they want to hide behind that non-transparency so they can essentially, um, you know, overinflate bills. And we talked a lot about that. Uh, in our in our last episode with you um, a few months back. So um, speaking of questions, if anybody does have questions, they can definitely call in and ask us questions. Our phone number is 509-537-0411. Or you can comment on Facebook or ask us questions on Facebook, the Mosley Professional Pharmacy Facebook page or the Mosley Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. So, um, Ethne, you, you contacted me a few um, weeks ago and you're discussing that one of the things you do is you help um, providers get credentialed through insurance companies. Is that correct? 
Yes. So any healthcare provider, clinic, hospital, surgery center, it doesn't matter. If you're going to bill an insurance company, you have to go through a process called credentialing, which in this process, they check out the provider, supposedly, uh, confirm they went to medical school, they have valid licensure, that type of thing. And we do that for our clients. So we work with the insurance companies to validate them to even bill. So um, that sounds great. Uh, thank you for th that um, definition. Now, it sounds like you had a little bit of little reluctance in your voice there when you said they check out, you said they check out these providers and supposedly. So, I mean, you have a little bit of reservation about this, about this process? Well, just the way that the industry has gone with insurance companies and credentialing, a lot of who's checking out the providers, verifying the information has been outsourced outside the United States. So when we are trying to work with United Healthcare to verify a provider is valid to build the insurance company, we're dealing with someone in the Philippines, for example, that English may not be their first language. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a very complicated thing. So there's a, I've, there's a lot that gets lost or overlooked, or perhaps it, it becomes more complicated than it needs to be. Um, the perfect story, as I told you, is in a phone call to an insurance company to verify a bank banking information, a checking account, a routing number, a tax ID, uh, very critical financial information. The person who was verifying that on the phone with me kept getting interrupted with the chicken in the background. The, <laughs> the chicken yep. kept crowing and he had to keep starting the conversation over with me to verify for <laughs> United Healthcare. <laughs> and this is somebody that is supposedly helping take care of our health through a health mm -hmm. insurance company. Yeah. And so what happens, these health insurance companies, they contract out with somebody out of country or something, a company out of country to verify yeah. this, yes. these details? Yes, yes. Um, it used to be that we had phone numbers and emails and people that we could speak with to go through the process. And it was people within the, you know, the US. Now it's all done by email. It's very vague. If you do talk to people, it's not here in the US. And that goes for all of the major national insurances. Um, Cigna, Aetna, Humana, United Healthcare, they, they are not doing things within the US anymore. Wow. What's scary for the providers, just side note, credentialing involves date of birth, place of birth, social security number, uh, maiden name, critical information that's going outside to another country. And it's sitting there with people who are making phone calls with chickens in the background. Yeah, you really have to question the security of that information. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I know there's been a lot of data breaches before with um, big companies like like the healthcare companies because they outsource their their stuff into other countries. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, just the story you just presented, I mean, they, they don't have the same, 
you know, security that, that we do in this country are the same, you know, just a culture of trying to keep stuff secure. It's true. And something else you need to understand is how you credential a physician uh, versus a, a facility or a testing facility versus a nurse practitioner, PA, the, the scrutiny or the, the amount of information that they verify is different. It's not the same, it's not standardized. So um, two people with no healthcare experience but wanna run a business doing mobile uh, ultrasounds can go through a very light credentialing process and be credentialed where a provider, it can take 120 days. So just because the insurance company allows that provider, whoever it is, to bill the insurance and you can see them doesn't mean that they've gone through the same level of scrutiny as everyone else. Um, and and that can be that can be dangerous for the patient sometimes. So that that gets me to the question of basically, in some ways, and I'm going to ask you the being the expert, in some ways, this credentialing is basically creating a network of providers for the health insurance company, correct? Correct. Okay. So, and this network, and in order to be credentialed, in order to be on their preferred provider network, you've got to be credentialed. And then they can um, refer to these these credentialed physicians, correct? Or um, other medical uh, personnel. Is that correct? Yes. Very correct. But from what you're telling me, the credentialing process that health insurance companies do does not necessarily make it that these people are the most qualified. Is that correct? Yes. Um, it, to me, it seems like it's more non-physicians. So your MDs and DOs go through a very, very stringent credentialing process that you have to verify they went to medical school, there's no legal actions against them, etc. When it comes to physician assistants, physical therapists, mental health practitioners, nurse practitioners, which I love working with PAs and nurse practitioners, but they don't have to go through the same level of scrutiny as an MD or DO to get in with these insurance companies. And are you seeing more of this? Um, I know we've talked about this on in our podcast before that um, insurance companies and hospitals seem to be pushing more towards nurse practitioners and PAs, which I, I don't necessarily have a problem with, you know, in their scope of practice. But do you see that um, there's actually that health insurance companies are kind of pushing that way? Um, towards less physician-run healthcare and more mid-level-run healthcare? I am seeing that. I, I think it's because of a couple of reasons. First of all, um, there is a shortage of, of physicians in the United States, and, and there's a lot that have, in the last few years, decided it's not worth it, and they have retired. Um, the other thing that you need to understand from an insurance reimbursement is that if let's say Cigna allows a hundred dollar payment for an office visit, if you're an MD or a DO, you get a hundred dollars. If, however, a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant sees the same patient 
for the same amount of time, they don't qualify for the $100. They qualify for $85. So insurance companies pushing for more PAs and nurse practitioners, they may say it's because they are trying to offer more care options for the people within their network. But from a number standpoint, a lot of it, you're saving 15% by having a nurse practitioner. Um, you you get to keep that 15% within you know, the, the health, the insurance company versus paying it to the provider. Yeah. That, and when you're talking millions and over the healthcare spectrum, billions of dollars, um, 15% is a huge chunk of change. Absolutely. And does it make sense? No. Um, I, I get the question asked all the time from nurse practitioners, PAs, why is it we are not making the same amount as an MD? Um, and a lot of it just comes back to the power of lobbying bodies at the at Washington. Um, that happens a lot with insurance companies, with healthcare provider groups. If they want more money reimbursed, they actually go to Washington and lobby. And the health insurance lobby is a huge lobby group. In fact, yeah. I've I've seen some numbers. You might you might know them. Um, that you know they're one of the top two, if I remember right, of of the lobbying groups in in yes. the nation. So uh, it's really going to be hard to beat them. I'm not saying <laughs> that we shouldn't try, um, but you know it's going to be really hard to beat them because they've got billions of dollars. And you know I think what's interesting too is that you know. Last year, for instance, and, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, um, and I believe it's, you know, a government created response to the pandemic is what really created the mess. But, um, you know, these health insurance companies made record profits, you know, and yeah. go, go ahead. You want to comment on that? Oh, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, the amount of people that had to seek out health care, all of the new uh testing that needed to be done the funding that was going to cover the the testing things i, I they made they made some good money that's for sure <laughs> yeah so you a couple weeks ago in our discussion you talked about um there was a specific i want to get into how how certain codes drive utilization of healthcare and i know you were talking about a certain code i believe in cuz Codes are reimbursed. These billing codes are regional, i.e., there's a, it's a different region. There's a different payment for each different region. And you're talking about, I think, a code in Texas, and about how much this code was used because all of a sudden Medicare was paying a lot of money for it or something. Do you remember our conversation? Yes. Okay. Um, so. When you look at how Medicare decides who gets paid what, it is based on the technical term is a locality, but it's a group of zip codes. So how a provider in San Francisco, California gets paid is going to be different than somebody in rural Kansas. Um, San Francisco is going to get paid a lot more than someone in rural Kansas. Um, but there are other codes that the Medicare then says to the contractors and 
perhaps I should explain to everyone, when you bill Medicare, you don't actually bill Medicare. There are entities similar to a Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, United Healthcare, that their job is to process the claims for Medicare in different parts of the United States. You, some people may have heard those names, uh, Noridian, Palmetto, Novitas, NGA. They basically are called a contractor. And for certain parts of the United States, they oversee processing and Medicare will dictate a majority of what is to be paid for those zip codes in that area. But there's also another set of codes that can be determined by that contractor. And there was an a company in the United States, I'll just leave it very vague, that they went to Medicare and in their specific state and said, we want to get paid $350 for this procedure code. What you need to understand is they, they were able to get that payment, but everywhere in the United States, other than that specific zip code, that procedure code reimbursed at about $32. So as usual, mm -hmm. follow the money. Yeah. It sounds like this company lobbied in that state or that uh, area uh, and they got what they wanted and this, they lined somebody's the, yeah. pockets, I'm sure. This company was not a small privately owned physician. This was a very large corporation that was able to push to get this. Um, that has been corrected because Medicare did come step in and change things, but there was a very long time that they were getting more money than anyone else who ever built that code in the United States. 10 times the money. 10 times. Yeah. 10 times. Now, oh, um, go ahead. And, and what people, this is, that's not the only time that happens. There's, there are a lot of things that can get paid 10, 15 times higher than what it should. And it goes through. Yeah. And I don't think people realize that. And, and one of the things I always discuss, whether it be on this podcast or whether it be in my book, I talk about free market um, healthcare. And when we have a third party involved, like these health insurance companies, and somebody else is paying the bill instead of the consumer, then we are able to, you know, have, you know, jacked up prices like tenfold. Whereas if the individual consumer was responsible for that payment, that wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen for long, that's for sure. Um, Very true. You know, because the consumer would be um, more aware of it and they'd be more price shopping. But one of the things that, that I want to talk about and just let consumers know in, in this episode is that, you know, their health insurance company doesn't have their best interest in mind. So when they send somebody to a preferred provider, it's not necessarily the best. It's not necessarily the cheapest and it's not necessarily the, the, um, the, the best service or the best quality. So, um, just because, in fact, I would argue that sometimes these networks, what these networks create is they create a little bit of a monopoly. And the insurance companies have this monopoly, and you can't go and pick a doctor that you want to outside of your network. And if you do, you get stung big time. We talked about that in our last episode. Um, 
So these networks are not necessarily the best networks, uh, the best the best providers, just because the insurance company said they are. Because these providers have no incentive to really give really really good patient care necessarily, because they're already in the network, so they're already having these these guaranteed referrals into this network. So can you comment on that? Absolutely. Um, so the PPO network in general is is just an absolute boondoggle. The, what people need to understand with PPOs is the majority of them are employer funded. So if you have insurance through your employer, 99% of the time it will be a PPO. Insurances love employer funded PPOs because the majority of the money getting paid out to providers in a PPO network is not Aetna's or Cigna's money, it's the, it's the employer's money. Mm -hmm. So there is no incentive on the insurance insurance company's end to make sure that there's cost savings. Um, okay. And so what has happened is you have this enormous PPO network. Basically, anybody can get in, right? There, there's If you can pass the basic credentialing checklist that we talked about earlier, you can be a PPO provider. There, there's no, you know, conversations of show us how you have cost savings for your patients. Show us your outcomes. That that doesn't happen to get into a PPO network. It's simply, do you, did you go to medical school? Have you, you know, followed the rules? Have you not gone to jail, et cetera, et cetera? Right, okay, right. you're in the PPO network. Um, the problem with some of these PPO networks especially when they do start to say you can only go here and you can't go there, meaning go in network versus out of network, is you may have a $2,000 in network deductible, but you may find you're out of network if you go down the road, you may have a $50,000 deductible. And I, I use this example all the time and people think I'm making it up. There is a healthcare system in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, that basically Kootenai Care Network. This, this, I've worked with um, people here in Washington D.C., and I've used this in a, as an example, and their mouth hits the ground. But in Coeur d'Alene, Kootenai Care, along with Blue Cross Blue Shield, decided that people who were going into this PPO network through the Affordable Care Act should be locked in to Kootenai County hospital providers. So what they basically formed is if you live in this area, we're gonna convert you to Kootenai Care and you are required to see one of our providers. It's a PPO, you have your choice, but do you? You have to see a provider that's affiliated with the hospital and that hospital may not have the best cost, you know, cost savings. For example, there are hospitals down the road in Post Falls that actually can do things in some instances 400% cheaper. But if you have this PPO network, the penalty for going out in network is you have a $50,000 deductible. Makes it impossible. Unbelievable. Right. I, I mean, that, that's just, you know, so they say that you do have a choice. You know, the, the insurance company gives you a choice, but but you really don't. No. Now, I'll get into that a little bit later when I talk about free market choices because we still can. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that to me is just the health insurance company 
working with the hospital system to collude to create a cartel. That's literally a cartel where they it's, are ripping it, people off, and it's and it's legal. It's unbelievable. It, it is, and and it it was some it was loopholes within the Affordable Care Act that allowed it. And and I use Kootenai Care as an example, but there are other similar situations throughout the United States. That seems to be an extreme example, but because all of these people came in the insurance companies wanted to figure out a way to save money. So they locked people into these very tight networks, but the costs are still out of control. And now you have essentially a monopoly because you, just because you live or you work next to the hospital, you may not have been as a provider allowed in. And that provider may have been the best healthcare provider in the area, but if they're not allowed in, the pe- patients can't see them, which also means that their care is not as good as it could be, well, theoretically. Right. That's what I really wanted to follow up with this, because here's one of the issues of the health insurance model that we have in this country when there's a third party involved in payment. So you mentioned that definitely with these PPO networks, it's probably not the most cost effective because they're sending them to places that are more expensive. Unfortunately, the way our system works, most individuals don't understand that. That's why it's important for us to educate them. They don't understand that, well, my insurance paid for it. You know, it was a $10,000 and I only had to pay 20%. Right. Okay. Yeah, that could be. Um, and so, you know, you're lucky it got paid for. But let's also remember this, that um, here's the more important thing is that that PPO network, just like you said, that might not be the most qualified provider. Not only are they possibly more expensive, they're not the best quality or the best service. Um, so can yeah. they get you in fast? You know, can they get you in fast? Can they can they service you fast? Do they respond fast? Do they, um, and is there quality? Like you said earlier, outcomes, are their outcomes good? You know, those things aren't really looked at, uh, you know, in this PPO network. So um, there again, the consumer that is told to go to a, this preferred provider, they they might not know the whole truth. So tell me, what should a person do? What should an individual do to find to find out about these providers and their health in their health insurance network? Well, um, a lot of it is just research. It's education. Um, you can find out anything about providers on the internet, right? Just Googling a, a provider or um, Googling the clinic that you want to go to, you can see Google reviews. There are websites that have become a business, which is, you know, uh, ZocDoc, things like that, where they're giving patient testimonials, patient reviews, things like that. Now, I would warn everyone that all of these websites that you go to to see provider reviews, they're somewhat fake uh, because providers actually can pay for services with these where they can manage the, the patient comments and complaints and things. And so what you're seeing can be somewhat inflated. A a lot of it is just educating, reading, talking to people. What people need to understand is just because the insurance company says that this is a preferred provider, uh, 
doesn't mean that they're preferred because they're an amazing doctor. It's just, they've gone through the process to be accepted right. into the network. Um, ultimately, no matter what, it doesn't matter if you have $0 or a billion dollars, you still have some choice. You still can decide, I don't want to see this doctor, I do. Granted, in an HMO, it becomes very limited, but it's just a matter of, you know, looking and, and searching. Me, for example, I will do a ton of research before I decide to go to a certain specialist. Same with my kids. I will do the research, I'll do reading, you know, uh, are they doing things other than just seeing patients? Are, are they writing peer review journals? I do a lot of homework, but I'm also a research person. But just Google them at least and look at the Google reviews. Right. And and like any other service, I mean, you know, we do that with any other any yes. other commodity that we that we access or buy you know we do our own research so healthcare should be no different don't just think that because your health insurance company said they're a preferred provider that they're the best um yeah. and one of the other things is too is i think in a free market you know a lot of times the best way to find out who is good is ask a friend hey um i'm yeah. looking for doing xyz uh do you know anybody um, that's what we used to do in the old days and it still works pretty well. So, um, you know, don't forget about that. Now I want to back up a little bit, um, on that code that was billed for $350 yeah. and it should have only been reimbursed like 35. Do you know of any specific, um, trend? Did that increase utilization of that service at all? because it was billed so because it was paid so high by Medicare. It did create I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a tactful way to say this. <laughs> it, it it did generate a industry within the United States of certain businesses. And not to say that there is not a need. A newer technology offered a lot of people to create businesses that took this code and it, they kind of did flood the market a little bit. Now, with that being said, there's essentially, there was a market correction at the first of the year because Medicare came in and said, nope, everybody's gonna get paid about X, you know, a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on where you live. But the $350, you know, monopoly that this one business had went away. And actually in, in one day, their stocks tanked by 50%. Wow. <laughs> uh, of course it did. And, and, and I, I guess the reason I want you to comment on that is because um, there's another thing that consumers need to watch out for is that when a third party is involved in their healthcare, and I, th I know this is very hard for some individuals to understand, but there are going to be unnecessary labs, unnecessary procedures, unnecessary things that um, are done. And the doctor or the provider will say, well, your insurance covers this. That doesn't necessarily mean you need that. So it's important as a consumer that you do your own research because um, I talk about it in my book that, you know, 85% and this is a, you know, it is referenced in my book. I've got good quality reference for it. 85% of 
um, healthcare is overutilized, which means it's possibly unnecessary. And part of it is because of a third party being involved. It's like, oh, yeah. well, you know, your insurance covers this and, you know, and somebody else is making money at it. And a perfect example is, like you said, their stock tanked because they weren't making money at it anymore. So you got to think the number, not only did the, did the price per procedure go down, I would almost bet the number of procedures got cut by a lot too in that area. Just, it's just, it's just economics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lower amount being billed out as a trend in general. Now, granted, I don't do billing for this company, but in general, the trend has, has, has dropped. Um, People always have to remember you ultimately as the patient consent, meaning you agree or you disagree to whatever it is. Providers are not omnipotent and can just say, this is what it must be done. You have to do it. You ultimately can say, now, hold on, let me look at this. How much is it going to cost? Why do I actually need this? Is there, is there another alternative? And, you know, you always have choice. Always, even though they may make you feel like you don't, you actually do. Absolutely. And speaking of that, it's a great segue into um, my book. So I wrote a book on this subject, basically how consumers need to be in charge of their own health. And one of the goals of this podcast is to educate and empower consumers to take charge of their own health. And that includes financial because that is very, very important. Um, like, like in any other industry, it's very important, you know, what you pay for a service. So I offer a six-step solution in my book called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And we're all about solutions here, right? This is health solutions. We don't just complain about problems. We give you, the listener, the viewers, we give you solutions. And one of the solutions is, in the sixth step, the first one is to um, be proactive in your own health. And, um, you know, that's the best health insurance you can have. It's not some preferred provider network that you can buy into. It's not some health insurance company that you can buy into and some monthly fee that you have with a deductible. The best health insurance you have is how you take care of yourself in the first place. That's the best health insurance you you have. Number two on the six-step solution. I'm not going to give away all six steps. I'm going to give away a few of them because we've already talked a lot about them. Number two on the six-step solution is ask about pricing and search out cash options. And if your doctor or provider sends you somewhere and they want you to get a procedure done and you ask them how much it is and they have no idea, um, I suggest they find out really quickly or I suggest you go somewhere else. I really honestly believe that. If they have no idea how much it costs. Now, I get it. It's not that easy. But we need to start putting pressure on these people because a doctor that's going to send you to a hospital for knee knee replacement surgery, that hospital is going to be clueless on what that knee surgery is. That being said, you can still research that yourself. How do you do that? Well, you know what you do when it comes to a surgery or a lot of procedures? There's a lot of cash places that are popping up, surgery centers, where you can get a price. Surgery Center of Oklahoma is one we talk about all the time on this podcast. I've met Dr. Keith Smith. He's been doing this since 1997 as as cash-only surgery center. And um, not cash only, but mostly cash. No government-related programs, no Premier Blue Crosses, nothing like that. And you can find out 
what a procedure costs. So if a hospital says that their knee surgery is going to be $48,000 and you can do it in, in surgery center of Oklahoma for 15, which is very common, usually it's about 10 to one. I noticed that surgery center of Oklahoma prices are usually about tenfold less, just like Ethne talked about, you know, prices going up tenfold with insurance companies. That's, that's kind of why. So search out those prices. It, you, you are in charge, just like buying a new car. It's no different. Um, and then let's talk about another solution in there. And I'm going to let you comment a little bit on it first, because you mentioned that health insurance companies have no incentive to decrease costs because somebody's got to pay for it. Sounds like the employer is. Is that correct? With uh, PPOs, yeah. It's it's. It's employer funded, right? So right. part of your benefits for working for certain employers is they pay a portion of your healthcare premium. You may also pay a portion of that healthcare premium, which is just basically the privilege to carry the insurance card. There's other car costs that then are involved, but paying into this, the insurance company then takes that money and that's what they're using to then pay the providers and, and pay the hospitals and things like that. So there, it, and if it's not your money, and right? make a profit, don't forget about that. And, and they do make a profit. And I, I'm a capitalist. I have no, I have no <laughs> issue with people making money. I just, I think the system needs to be exposed and I don't, I don't have any, any it's not about a dollar amount. I think it's about non-transparency is what really ticks me off about this industry and why I'm so passionate about it. I want to educate consumers. Um, I agree. I agree. You know. And it, people need to understand there's when you say healthcare costs, there's two costs. The first cost is the cost, you know, what is the cost from the patient, right? The how much are you paying out of pocket with copays, coinsurance, deductibles, premiums, etc. The other cost is is how much is does it actually cost to operate the office or operate the hospital or, or do the surgery, those costs. And unfortunately, um, the costs for operating are very, 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 very expensive. And there's this big discrepancy, unfortunately. And they are trying to then push that on to patients because what's happening is people used to have $250 deductibles. I remember when people were uh, just aghast with a $500 deductible. Amen. And now it's not uncommon to have a $2,000, $5,000 in network deductible, which is, of course, you have to pay that much money before the insurance company will start paying any money. And a lot of that's just because they're trying to cover everything that's getting spent on the other end with the costs of bandages and beds and things like that. Right. And let's remember some of let's remember much of those costs in these in these corporate type healthcare entities like we've talked about, whether it be a big hospital or a big a big clinic group. Um, when they're billing these third parties, like you say, it's it's non-transparent and it's very convoluted. It's very can be very confusing. So over 50% of their overhead is just due to billing and trying to get reimbursed for these services. So yes. that has nothing to do with the patient's quality whatsoever. Yeah. And so when you look at examples like the surgery center of Oklahoma, um, there's a lot less layers of people when it comes to um, um, uh, operating costs because they don't have that middle 
those middle people are taken out. So, you know, when you look at a lot of hospitals, there are so many different layers of management to try to manage all these different things. And they have so much more money, they can just hire more people and more management. So there's a lot of people that just, you know, probably we wouldn't be there at all if it wasn't for health insurance. But when I use, yeah, when I use the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, for example, you know, when you ask a question about getting a surgery done, who answers it? Dr. Keith Smith. You know, he answers his own emails. Um, he's the administrator. He's the anesthesiologist. Um, he's the CEO. I mean, he does everything there. So, um, and yet, you know, your service and quality is better, in my opinion, than big corporate healthcare and a lot less expensive. And, and those are some of the reasons why, because he doesn't dive into this model that gets very convoluted. He, he, he mentions, and I use this, I use this as an example because I quote him and he, and he is quoted on my book on the cover of my book, sickened how the government ruined healthcare. His quote was this, when he was in practice with a hospital, he felt like an accessory to the crime. That's his quote. And I think a lot of healthcare providers that are in this mess, they are essentially accessories of crime. And I've talked to some doctors that have gotten out and some of the good ones get out because they realize that a lot of things that they're doing are is just immoral. When you charge somebody three hundred thousand dollars for, you know, procedures that, you know, should have been fifty thousand dollars, you know, a hospital stay. Very, very common. You have any comment on that, Ethne? Yeah. So years ago, the majority of healthcare providers owned their own practice. They were, uh, like you mentioned, the. And their own administrators, they did their own ordering of band-aids, all of it. They managed their business. And I truly believe healthcare costs were a lot more manageable then and quality of care was better. It was their business. They made the choices. Yes, they were still billing insurance, but you didn't have all those administrative layers. About what, 10, 15 years ago, it became so complicated to operate within this industry as a just single provider. People have to understand some of the things that are required of providers, for example, just to uh, do report quality measures to Medicare can can require the provider to spend 800 hours and $42,000 in one year to just meet the requirements to report for Medicare. And when you start layering these things on and going back to credentialing, credentialing is a very, very inexact science. It's how you credential with TRICARE is completely different than how you credential with Medicare. And as a provider to try and navigate and keep up with all of this, you can't do it. So you've had a lot of these providers said, this is this is too much. I'm going to just go work for a major healthcare system because they have people that will do it for me. But what has happened is a lot of those providers, like you mentioned, realized they're charging a ton of money. I have no say in, in my patients. I have no say about the flow of my office, the standards, the even the hiring of employees, nurses. I have no say. And actually, one thing I have noticed, which I feel is going to be good for everyone, is that a lot of these providers have decided, you know what? 
I'm going to go back out and I'm going to do it on my own because there are now within the industry, uh, for example, my company, we take all of that complicated stuff away from the provider so they can simply just go see patients, which is what they want to do. And all of the other things we handle for them because that's, that's all we do. That's all we know. Uh, That's what we understand. And so I truly feel that because more people are leaving the big health cares and going out on their own, quality of care and costs will go down because trust me, when you own your own business and you know this, you watch every penny, every penny you do. And of course you have to worry about quality too, because exactly. you, you, you want to keep, you want to stay in business. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was uh, very educational. So let me go back to the employer. So this it's, it's one of the steps in my six step solution in my book about, you know, I think one of the issues with our healthcare system is that it is employer sponsored yeah. and, um, I think one of the things that individuals can do, because we always just talk about how do we empower individuals? Well, I mean, one of the ways we can empower them is that, you know, they think their healthcare and maybe not so much anymore because, you know, employers are definitely, most employers don't pay a hundred percent for people's healthcare. Um, so they're pay, taking something out of their paycheck, but, but realize, I think the average family of four now um it costs about $24,000 a year to in, to help to ensure somebody's health care for $24,000 a year. So how would you as an individual, how would you like to um, have that money in your pocket to decide where you put it yourself? First of all, it would make you happier because it should make you happier because guess what? Now all of a sudden you get to pick your doctor. So if, if your employer sponsors an HSA or gives you the money and says you can go on the open market and buy your own insurance um, or health sharing ministry, that's one of those other steps or health sharing program. I don't really believe in health insurance at all. I believe in having something, but it's totally different. Health insurance program, health insurance. Uh, um, some of them are faith-based. Some of them aren't now. New Health, KNEW. Um, my wife have have a, one of the health insurance, uh, health care ministries and wonderful. We've had great luck with it. We get to decide where we go to the doctor. We get to decide where we go to the hospital. We get to negotiate prices. Imagine being able to go to a hospital. Imagine being able to go to a doctor and say, uh, what's your fee for this? Oh, well, that's too high. I can get something better for cheaper. That's what you can do. You can be empowered to do that if you're not under your employer's sponsored health insurance. So if enough people go to their employer and say, you know, I this $24,000 a year is, I'm not getting any benefit from this. And by the way, when I do go to the doctor, it costs me, I've got a $10,000 deductible anyway. So, and nothing is used, and a lot of things aren't covered anyway. And it's a pain in the butt to get it covered. And if it is, MRI, for example, oh yeah, and I hear this story all the time. I got an MRI and it was great. It was covered and I only had to pay $800. That was my 20% copay. I said, oh, good, because I know there's companies that you can get an MRI for for $400 cash. And by the way, you wouldn't have had to wait two months for prioritization. So the consumers need to start taking care of their health care, and that's one of the, one of the ways. Um, another thing is, too, is like you said, I mean, we're talking about my books, and so you know, this goes right along the line of my book. Doctors need to stop. Doctors and healthcare providers, they need to stop being accessories of the crime. Get out of the mess. You know, don't be accessory to the crime. Now, I know you didn't necessarily promote 
getting out of health insurance um, <laughs> completely. I do believe that. I don't believe that it's ever going to be 100%. There will always be doctors that bill health healthcare insurance. But um, when you look at the movement that a lot of doctors are going for direct primary care and for cash services, there's a lot of movement towards that because I don't think people realize. I mean, I see all these people going to med school and, you know, they're so excited to go to med school and man, they are in for a huge surprise because I don't think they realize how many doctors out there hate what they do when they work in corporate healthcare. They hate it. They feel like slaves. Literally. I talk to them every day. Oh, they, they become employees where someone else is dictating to them. Um, how to run the clinic, what to do, what they can do, what they're not allowed to do. And if I went to school for that long and paid that much money, I would be thoroughly irritated myself. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't like to be told what to do now, so I can only imagine. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. So we've covered a lot today. Thank you so much, Ethne. Um, just, just help us out and remind us, what do you have a passion for? What drives you? Um, honestly, I want to see more medical providers go out and do it on their own. And the whole drive and focus with my company is to be able to allow providers to have their own business, to be successful, to understand this complicated industry and just focus on seeing the patients and we will take care of the rest. And and that's really the focus and passion of me and my company. Well, we so make your le- life easier. That's yeah, what we good for you. Say. That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so that leads us right into how do how do people get a hold of you? They can reach out through either Facebook. We have Pacific Medical Revenue on Facebook. We also have PacificMedicalRevenue.com. And you can call through the 800 number or you can send a message and we can get back to you directly. Looks like our producer is streaming your website. Is that the is that how to get a hold of you right there? Ethne? That is. Awesome. Right there. Awesome. Well, thank you. It's been a wonderful educational show, as always, when, when we have you on. So I so appreciate your time and thank you for being on today, Ethne. It was wonderful. All right. Well, so um, tune in for Monday on our Monday episode at 1230 to 1. We will have our um, have our uh, second part of a four-part series. And actually, we're adding a five-part series, actually, to it because there's so much information there. And we're going to be talking about breast cancer and breast reconstruction surgery. So don't miss out on that one, 1230 to 1. We have um, Dr. Irina Carranza on, and she is going to – educate us about those issues. So if you have any questions, please let us know on Facebook, Um, reach out to us. And um, as always, check in on our YouTube site, Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. Please subscribe to it and um, comment. Let us know what episodes, what what other topics you'd like to hear about and all the podcast forms. So if you don't want to watch us on video and you want to just listen to us, um, subscribe to us on Google Play, on iTunes, all your favorite podcast forums, and you can catch us there. So as always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening and tuning in today. Um, You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham.